Hello, Shanks. Welcome to the seventh episode of the Maze Runner podcast. We left at the mention of a dead cleaver. I mean, who is telling Albie and Thomas about the dead cleaver? And let's continue from there. Chapter 13. Thomas was fascinated at the mention of a cleaver. The nasty creature was terrifying to think about, but he wondered why finding a dead one was such a big deal. Had it never happened before? Albie looked like someone had just told him he could grow wings and fly. Ain't a good time for jokes, he said. Look, Minho answered. I wouldn't believe me if I were you either, but trust me, I did. Big, fat, nasty one. It's definitely never happened before, Thomas thought. You found a dead griever, Albie repeated. Yes, Albie, Minho said, his words laced with annoyance. A couple of miles from here, out near the cliff. Albi looked out at the maze, then back at Minho. Well, why didn't you bring it back with you? Minho laughed again, a half grunt, half giggle. You've been drinking fry pan saucy sauce? Those things must weigh half a ton, dude. Plus, I wouldn't touch one if you gave me a free tip out of this place. What did it look like? Were the metal spikes in or out of its body? Did it move at all? Was its skin still moist? Thomas was bursting with questions. Metal spikes, moist skin. What in the world? but held his tongue, not wanting to remind them he was there. And that maybe they should talk in private. Slimic, man, Minho said. You gotta see it for yourself. It's weird. Weird? Albi looked confused. Dude, I'm exhausted, starving and sunsick. But if you wanna haul it right now, we could probably make it there and back before the walls shut. Albi looked at his watch. Better wait till the wake-up tomorrow. Smartest thing you've said in a week. Minho righted himself from leaning on the wall, hit Albi on the arm, then started walking toward the homestead with a slight limp. He spoke over his shoulder as he shuffled away. It looked like his whole body was in pain. I should go back out there, but screw it, man. I'm gonna go eat some of Frypan's nasty casserole. Thomas felt a wash of disappointment. He had to admit Minho did look like he deserved a rest and bite to eat, but he wanted to learn more. Then Albi turned to Thomas, surprising him. If you know something and ain't telling me. Thomas was sick of being accused of knowing things. Wasn't that the problem in the first place? He didn't know anything. He looked at the boy square in the face and asked simply, Why do you hate me so much? The look that came over Albie's face was indescribable. Part confusion, part anger, part shock. Hate? Boy, you ain't learned nothing since showing up in that box. This ain't got nothing to do with no hate or like or love or friends or anything. All we care about is surviving. Drop your sissy size and start using that chuck brain if you got one. Thomas felt like he'd been slapped. But what do you keep accusing? Because it can't be a coincidence, Slinthead. You pop in here, then we get us a girl newbie next day. Crazy note, been trying to fight ya, dead cleavers, something's going on. And I ain't twisting till I find it out. I don't even know anything, Albie. It felt good to put some heat into his words. I don't even know where I was three days ago, much less why this Minho guy would find a dead thing called a griever. So back off. Albie leaned back slightly, stared absently at Thomas for several seconds, then said, Slim it, Greeny. Grow up and start thinking. Ain't got nothing to do with accusing nobody of nothing. But if you remember anything, if something even seems familiar, you better start talking. Promise me. Not until I have a solid memory, Thomas thought. Not unless I want to share it. Yeah, I guess, but just promise. Thomas paused, sick of Albie and his attitude. Whatever, he finally said. I promise. 
At that, Alvi turned and walked away, not saying another word. Thomas found a tree in the dead heads, one of the nicer ones on the edge of the forest with plenty of shade. He dreaded going back to work with Winston the butcher and knew he needed to eat lunch. But he didn't want to be near anybody for as long as he could get away with it. Leaning back against the thick trunk, he wished for a breeze but didn't get one. He just felt his eyelids droop when Chuck reuned his piece and quiet. Thomas, Thomas, the boy shrieked as he ran towards him, pumping his arms. His face lit up with excitement. Thomas rubbed his eyes and groaned. He wanted nothing in the world more than a half-hour nap. It wasn't until Chuck stopped right in front of him, panting to catch his breath, that he finally looked up. What? Words slowly fell from Chuck in between his gasps of breath. Ben. Ben. He isn't. Dead. All signs of fatigue catapulted out of Thomas's system. He jumped up to stand nose to nose with Chuck. What? He isn't dead. Baggers went to get him. Arrow missed his brain when Jack patched him up. Thomas turned away to stare into the forest where the sick boy had attacked him just the night before. You gotta be kidding, I saw him. He wasn't dead. Thomas didn't know what he felt more strongly. Confusion? Relief? Fear that he'd be attacked again? Well, so did I. He's locked up in the slammer, a huge bandage covering half his head. Thomas bent to face Chuck again. The slammer? What do you mean? The slammer, it's our jail on the north side of the homestead. Chuck pointed in that direction. They threw him in it so fast that my jacks had to patch him up in there. Thomas rubbed his eyes. Guilt consumed him when he realized how he truly felt. He'd been relieved that Ben was dead, that he didn't have to worry about facing him again. So, what are they going to do with him? Already had a gathering of the keepers this morning. Made an unanimous decision by the sounds of it. Looks like Ben will be wishing that Arrow had found a home inside his shuck plane after all. Thomas squinted, confused by what Chuck had said. What are you talking about? He's being banished. Tonight, for trying to kill you. Banished? What does that mean? Thomas had to ask, though he knew it wouldn't be good if Chuck thought it was worse than being dead. And then Thomas saw perhaps the most disturbing thing he'd seen since he'd arrived at the grave. Chuck didn't answer. He only smiled. Smiled, despite it all. Despite the sinister sound of what he'd just announced. Then he turned and ran, maybe to tell someone else the exciting news. That night, Newton Alby gathered every last glader at the east door. About a half hour before it closed, the first traces of twilight's dimness creeping across the sky. The runners had just returned and entered the mysterious nap room, clanging the iron door shut. Minho had already gone in earlier. Albi told the runners to hurry about their business. He wanted them back out in 20 minutes. It still bothered Thomas how Chuck had smiled when breaking the news about Ben being banished. Though he didn't know exactly what it meant, it certainly didn't sound like a good thing, especially since they were all standing so close to the maze. Are they going to put him out there? He wondered, with the grievers. The other gladers murmured their conversations in hushed tones, an intense feeling of dreadful anticipation hanging over them like a patch of thick fog. But Thomas said nothing, standing with arms folded, waiting for the show. He stood quietly until the runners finally came out of their building, all of them looking exhausted, their faces pinched from deep thinking. Minhua had been the first to exit, which made Thomas wonder if he was the keeper of the runners. Bring him out! Albie shouted, startling Thomas out of his thoughts. 
His arms fell to his sides as he turned, looking around the glade for a sign of Ben. Trepidation building within him as he wondered what the boy would do when he saw him. From around the far side of the homestead, three of the bigger boys appeared, literally dragging Ben along the ground. His clothes were tattered, barely hanging on. A bloody thick bandage covered half his head and face. Refusing to put his feet down or help the progress in any way, he seemed as dead as the last time Thomas had seen him. Except for one thing. His eyes were open and they were wide with terror. Newt, Alby said in a much quieter voice. Thomas wouldn't have heard him if he hadn't been standing just a few feet away. Bring out the pole. Newt nodded, already on the move toward a small tool shed used for the gardens. He'd clearly been waiting for the order. Thomas turned his focus back to Ben and the guards. The pale, miserable boy still made no effort to resist, letting them drag him across the dusty stone of the courtyard. When they reached the crowd, they pulled Ben to his feet in front of Alby, their leader, where Ben hung his head, refusing to make eye contact with anyone. You brought this on yourself, Ben, Alby said, then shook his head and looked toward the shack to which Newt had gone. Thomas followed his gaze just in time to see Newt walk through the slanted door. He was holding several aluminium poles connecting the ends to make a shaft, maybe 20 feet long. When he was finished, he grabbed something odd-shaped on one of the ends and dragged the whole thing along toward the group. A shiver ran up Thomas's spine and the metallic scrape of the pole on the stone ground as Newt walked. Thomas was horrified by the whole affair. He couldn't help feeling responsible even though he'd never done anything to provoke Ben. How was any of this his fault? No answer came to him, but he felt the guilty all the same, like a disease in his blood. Finally, Newt stepped up to Alby and handed over the end of the pole he was holding. Thomas could see the strange attachment now. A loop of rough leather fastened to the metal with a massive sapple. A large button snap revealed that the loop could be open and closed. Its purpose became obvious. It was a collar. But honestly, Ben is being banished and you figure out what that is in some time. It's, it's a real bad thing being banished. Right, let's continue with chapter 14. Thomas watched as Alby unbuttoned the collar, then wrapped it around Ben's neck. Ben finally looked up just as the loop of leather snapped close with a loud pop. Tears glistened in his eyes. Dribbles of snot oozed from his nostrils. The gladers looked on, not a word from any of them. Please, Alby, Ben pleaded, his shaky voice so pathetic that Thomas couldn't believe it was the same guy who tried to bite his throat off the day before. I swear it was just sick in the head from changing. I never would have killed him. Just lost my mind for the second. Please, Alby, please. Every word from the kid was like a fist punching Thomas in the gut making him feel more guilty and confused. Alby didn't respond to Ben. He pulled on the collar to make sure it was both firmly snapped and solidly attached to the long pole. He walked past Ben and along the pole, picking it up off the ground as he slid its length through his palm and fingers. When he reached the end, gripped it tightly and turned to face the crowd, eyes bloodshot, face wrinkled with anger. Breathing heavily to Thomas, he suddenly looked evil. And it was an odd sight on the other side. Ben, trembling, crying, a roughly cut collar of old leather wrapped around his pale, scrawny neck. 
attached to a long pole that stretched from him to Abby. Twenty feet away, the shaft of aluminium bowed in the middle, but only a little. Even from where Thomas was standing, it looked surprisingly strong. Abby spoke in a loud, almost ceremonious voice, looking at no one and everyone at the same time. Ben of the Builders, you've been sentenced to banishment for the attempted murder of Thomas the newbie. The keepers have spoken and their word ain't changing, and you ain't coming back, ever. A long pause. Keepers, take your place in the banishment pool. Thomas hated that his link to Ben was being made public. He hated the responsibility he felt. Being the centre of attention again could only bring more suspicion about him. His guilt transformed into anger and blame. More than anything, he just wanted Ben gone. He wanted it all to be over. One by one, boys were stepping out of the crowd and walking over to the long pole. They grabbed it with both hands, gripped it as a freddying for a tug-of-war match. Newt was one of them, as was Minho, confirming Thomas's guess that he was the keeper of the runners. Winston the butcher also took up a position. Once they were all in place, ten keepers paced evenly apart between Albie and Ben. The air grew silent and still. The only sounds were the muffled sobs of Ben who kept wiping at his nose and eyes. He was looking left and right, though the collar around his neck prevented him from seeing the pole and keepers behind him. Thomas's feeling changed again. Something was obviously wrong with Ben. Why did he deserve this fate? Couldn't something be done for him? Would Thomas spend the rest of his days feeling responsible? Just end, he screamed in his head. Just be over. Please, Ben said his voice rising in desperation. Please, somebody help me. You can't do this to me. Shut up, Albie roared from behind, but Ben ignored him, pleading for help as he started to pull on the leather looped around his neck. Someone stop them. Help me, please. He glanced from boy to boy, begging with his eyes. Without fail, everyone looked away. Thomas quickly stepped behind the taller boy to avoid his own confrontation with Ben. I can't look into those eyes again, he thought. If we let shanks like you get away with that stuff, Albie said, we never would have survived this long. Keepers, get ready. No, 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 Ben was saying half under his breath. I swear, I'll do anything. I swear, I'll never do it again. Please. His shrill cry was cut off by the rumbling crack of the east door beginning to close. Sparks flew from the stone as the massive right wall slid to the left, groaning thunderously as it made its journey to close off the gleam from the maze for the night. The ground shook beneath them, and Thomas didn't know if he could watch what he knew was going to happen next. Keepers, now, Albie shouted. Ben's head snapped back as he was jerked forward, the keepers pushing the pole toward the maze outside the glade. A strangling cry erupted from Ben's throat, louder than the sound of the closing door. He fell to his knees only to be jerked back to his feet by the keeper in front, a thick guy with black hair and a snarl on his face. No! Ben screamed, spit flying from his mouth as he thrashed about, tearing at the collar with his hands. But the combined strength of the keepers was way too much, forcing the condemned boy closer and closer to the edge of the glade. Just as the right wall was almost there. No! He screamed again and then again. He tried to plant his feet at the threshold, but it only lasted for a split second. The pole sent him into the maze with a lurch. Soon he was fully four feet outside the glade, jerking his body from side to side as he tried to escape his collar. The walls of the door were only seconds from sealing shut. With one last violent effort, Ben was able to 
twist his neck in the circle of leather so that his whole body turned to face the cradle. Thomas couldn't believe he was still looking upon a human being. The madness in Ben's eyes, the plague flying from his mouth, the pale skin stretched, taut across his veins and bones. He looked as alien as anything Thomas could imagine. Hold, Alby shouted. Ben screamed then, without pause, a sound so piercing that Thomas covered his ears. It was a bestial, lunatic cry, surely ripping the boy's vocal cords to shreds. At the last second, the front keeper somehow loosened the larger pole from the piece attached to Ben and yanked it back into the glade, leading the boy to his banishment. Ben's final screams were cut off and the walls closed with a terrible boom. Thomas squeezed his eyes shut and was surprised to feel tears trickling down his cheek. That's it. That's all for today. I mean, honestly, it was not Ben's fault that he was stung by the cleaver and he attacked Thomas. But I guess if they kept him, many people would die. You know, it's real bad though, you know. Before the changing, Ben would have been a friend of some people in the glade. And I just don't know how they can watch it, watch Ben getting banished. It's so sad. Okay. We will meet next Sunday. I hope we find something good then, you know, something that, that does not make us feel sad. Let's meet next Sunday, only on the Maze Runner Podcast.